Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to the conversation. As I release this episode, it is the end of December 2023. I don't know about you, but the last couple months, my life has upticked, has has increased in activity, and I've begun to reassess how I process my podcast episodes, how I'm going to have to do them in the future. And I have to admit, I have been reluctant to batch episodes ahead, so Typically, I'll record the episode and I'll release it the same day or the day after or maybe a couple days later. But I I can't do that anymore. So I'm going to have to start recording episodes ahead and then schedule them to be released over time. But what does that mean to you? Practically nothing because you probably probably won't notice any difference whatsoever. But it's going to make a big change for me. I'll go into more of that in the next episode where it's going to be about completing on old business, completing on what happened and what didn't happen in 2023, and asking the questions, what do we want to create moving forward? But that hasn't happened yet, so let's talk about what we're doing today. This episode is actually a tutorial, meaning that I'm going to teach you a process, teach you something that I've talked about over the last, I don't know, four or five episodes It began with episode 345 and is culminating with this episode. So if you haven't yet listened to episode 345, where I introduce the concepts of pain and pleasure and how they motivate us, how they move us through life, and what happens when we reach threshold, I will do a little review about those ideas in presenting this episode because you're actually going to learn a technique to change your behavior, change your habits to move forward. It has implications around behavior. It has implications around manifesting, law of attraction. And if this was the only technique you ever learned about neuro-linguistic programming or an NLP process, you would do well to changing behavior and creating the life that you want. With that said, if you don't have a background in neuro-linguistic programming and you don't yet know what it is, NLP, as we refer to it in the short form, NLP is a model of how we model reality. Originally, it began as a linguistics model, and if we change how we represent experience in language, we change our experience of the world. But as time would have it, many more techniques were accumulated and and integrated in the discipline of NLP, almost to the point today it's really hard to define exactly what NLP is. But just consider it a process of transforming and changing behavior. A central idea in NLP is the idea of modeling. That's the idea that if another person can create an experience, process a thought, execute a strategy, we can model what they do in their head and we can replicate that behavior, we can replicate that result. Now, I do also want to touch upon the idea that a lot of people's perspective or perception of NLP is that of a persuasion tool, or in some words, manipulation. That perception is actually a small part of what NLP actually is. Now, I just want to touch upon manipulation for a moment. 
everyone manipulates everybody else. If I go on a date with somebody for the first time, I want to manipulate their attention in order to make a good impression. You, as a creator in the world, you want to manipulate your environment in order to get a result. Now, understand that everyone is always manipulating everybody else. You manipulate your boss, you manipulate your customers, you manipulate your spouse, your loved ones. You are always in the act of influencing or being influenced by. And so manipulation is not bad in and of itself. There is a certain amount of authorship in it, of programming, and that's where NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, comes in. It gives you the power to program your communication in order to get a particular result. But where manipulation, I, I guess, gets the bad rap is when you manipulate other people for your own benefit, regardless of how it impacts them. To me, that's bad. And it is not what I teach. In fact, I'll tell you right now, if you are a person that manipulates others for your own benefit, regardless of how it impacts them, you are going to burn in hell. I'm totally serious. You are going to suffer a result that is going to be devastating to your life because what goes around comes around. If that's the energy you're putting out, I'm going to tell you right now, it is going to backfire in your face. And so your perspective, if you're going to continue with me, should be in the realm of how can I create a win-win. Zig Ziglar said it best. You'll get everything that you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Now, if you haven't yet listened to episode 345, I suggest you go back and start there and kind of listen to all these together. Or you can listen to this episode, then go back to get a fuller understanding of all the principles that we talk about. With that said, the essence of NLP is actually a result of observing other people how they run their brain, and how they've gotten results. And so these techniques and processes are what happens naturally in our brain. Not for everybody, but you can learn a strategy that anybody else uses, and this is a strategy on how to initiate a change in your behavior, how to realize the impact of a behavior, of a habit on your life, and make a decision to do something else. And that decision isn't just a conscious decision, it actually occurs on multiple levels of consciousness within your being. It is supported other than consciously or at the unconscious level, and you just start behaving differently as a result of the decisions that you make at the other than conscious level. This technique was popularized by Tony Robbins. He referred to it as the Dickens method or Dickens process. And it is based on the novella, A Christmas Carol, written by Charles Dickens. Now, I'm going to make the assumption that at some point in your life, you've been exposed to the story, A Christmas Carol. And if you have, it's to your benefit. If you haven't, I'm still going to explain the process in a way where you can utilize it. And if you really want to take advantage of this tutorial, I suggest you get a pad and paper. Or prepare to sit down later and go over all the steps as I recount them in this episode. So, the story at Christmas Carol. I want to do the setup here. The story is about Ebenezer Scrooge, a miser. He's concerned about business. It's always, it seems like he's always been concerned about business. 
and it is Christmas Eve in the story. Scrooge doesn't much care about people or mankind. He's interested in making money. He doesn't like to share his money. He is the epitome of a miser. And you probably have heard references that don't be a Scrooge. So just before midnight, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his former partner, Jacob Marley. Now Marley foretells the coming of three more spirits throughout the night, all to visit Scrooge. Marley tells him that this is going to be the opportunity for you to change your ways, to change the predictable future. So after Marley, Scrooge is visited by the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Scrooge's past. And so the spirit of Christmas past takes Scrooge into his past to revisit the impact of his decisions, the impact of his choices, and how things played out. And there you can actually see why Scrooge is such a sourpuss. He was treated poorly as a boy by his peers, made fun of, and his sister, his only real love and friend in his life, died at a young age. And so he hardened his soul. He hardened his emotions. He created an armor around him. But he also saw experiences where he was extremely joyful, where he experienced joy with his fiance at the time, with his boss, who has celebrated Christmas in the most joyful way. And then how his fiance ended up leaving him because he was more consumed with business and making money than he was in relationships. The next spirit to visit was the spirit of Christmas present. When Scrooge set eyes on the spirit of Christmas present, he could barely see him, could barely bear the brilliance. And the spirit of Christmas present said, you have never seen the likes of me. Many of my brothers have come before me and you have pushed them aside. And to get Scrooge in the mood of being able to sit in his company, he gave him a drink of the milk of human kindness. And then the spirit of Christmas present took him around to different people in Scrooge's present life to see the impact of his miserliness on the other people around him, the people that he quote-unquote loved and that were part of his circle. And then, after the spirit of Christmas present seemed to all occur within an hour or two, the next spirit was the spirit of Christmas future. And the spirit of Christmas future looked like the specter of death. After already visiting with the spirit of Christmas past and the spirit of Christmas present and seeing the impact of his decisions and his choices on his life and his unhappiness, he told the spirit of Christmas future, spirit, I fear you the most of all. And essentially, when the spirit of Christmas future showed Scrooge visions of his future, the predictable, almost certain future based on his current beliefs and behavior, Scrooge was going to end up dead within a year, alone. And people would be spitting on his grave and tearing down his curtains and selling his belongings, essentially stealing everything he had accumulated over the years. That visitation with the spirit of Christmas future ended with Scrooge on his knees begging for another chance, begging to know that he could change. He was grasping at the robe of the specter, And the next thing he knows, he's awaking, grasping the curtains of his bed. Afraid he's missed it, he runs to the window and throws open the shutters to find a passing boy. As he screams down to him, he asks the boy, what day is it? 
and he realizes that it's still Christmas Day, that the spirits had visited him throughout the night, and he still had an opportunity to change his ways. And he did. He became a friend of mankind. In a moment, I'm going to break down this story in the form of a technique or a process that you can utilize in your own life. But before I do, I want to share a concept with you, and that is the idea of the predictive future. As a human being, very few of us take action without making some kind of prediction on whether or not we're going to be successful. To get an idea of how will this turn out, we don't like the unknown. We like to travel in the realm of the known. So there's this process that we go through. We essentially look at the last three to five experiences that we've had with something similar, and we project out into the future on how it will turn out based on our past experience. How this might work with law of attraction, if you find yourself in the need or want of money, maybe you have a pending bill due or you have something, you know, an amount of money that you want to create, you'll tend to look back at the last three to five similar circumstances and make an assessment. Well, I haven't been able to create it in the past, it's unlikely that I'm going to be able to do it this time. This is how the past or the current situation or the present gets in your way of manifesting something new because you essentially take what has happened in the past and push it into the future. But the truth is, at any given moment, anything can happen. We live in the field of pure possibility. Everything can change on a dime. We can move in a completely new direction. Everything can fall out around us. The predictable past does not have to imprint what's going to happen today or tomorrow. Only if we believe it will, it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. This is law of attraction. If that's what we're focusing on, those past events, we're going to create more of the way it was before. This goes back to the quote that I shared before. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. Okay, so that's the introduction of that concept of the predictable future. We can use that for us, and it can be used against us. But understanding how it works and that it's there gives you power. Now, back in episode 345, I talked about the power of pain and pleasure, that we are driven more by pain or being uncomfortable than we are on what is possible, on the attractive uh, pleasure that's out there. We will move faster away from pain than we will towards pleasure. And then I talked about the concept in an episode after that about threshold, reaching threshold. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Typically, as a human being, we will tolerate certain things, a certain threshold of pain or uncomfortableness because we don't want to deal with it or we don't actually want to take the, the steps to shift it or change it. And so there's many things in our life that we wish were better. They could be better, but it's not that bad yet. And so threshold is the idea is when your pain or uncomfortableness reaches a point of threshold, it tips the scale, it is the straw that breaks the camel's back, you'll never again be the same. Now, the feeling is more like this. As an example, I was recently talking with a client and they said something to the point, like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm, I'm done doing this. And that is a little lukewarm. How you want the feeling to show up for you is I'm done. This is not happening ever, ever again. 
I'm doing anything different to create a different result. I am never, ever going back there. If you're talking about a relationship, you're not going to say, you know, this isn't really working anymore. You're going to say, I'm done. I'm over, I'm over this. I'm out of here. And it is that firm because once you cross threshold, very seldom, very seldom will you ever, ever go back because you've reached a point of no return. You've heard this in our language over and over and over again. So this idea of threshold is really important. And again, there's this number of three to five experiences where we really stack on the discomfort, really stack on the disappointment to where it's almost unbearable that we stack the pain to where we shift and really get the impact, really understand and feel the impact. Okay, now let's go back to the Dickens method, Dickens process, and break it down as a technique of change. Take any habit that you want to alter, any anyone that you want to change. And you can change biggies, really big ones like cigarette addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, eating addictions. Or it can be the habit of hitting the snooze button one too many times. Or maybe not necessarily picking up after yourself and your house is a mess. More than likely, you have an idea in your head of a habit, a behavior you would like to shift that you may want to change that you could apply this technique to. And I say that knowing that the application has broad possibilities. Okay, so let's break down this story. Let's break down the process in a way that you can utilize it. If you think about Scrooge, if you think about the story the way it occurred, Scrooge was visited by the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. Each spirit took him on a journey to witness and experience the impact, the pain of having a particular behavior or a belief. And each spirit showed him three to five situations where there was an impact, where he was present to the pain and also the flip side, the possibility of what was there if those were gone. So if you're reviewing this with a pad of paper, write down at the top the habit or belief that you want to shift or change, and then write the impact on the past. How did this impact you? How has it cost you time, money, satisfaction, happiness? Write down the list. Get as detailed as possible on the real cost to your life. What has been the impact on your relationships? What has been the impact monetarily? What has been the impact on happiness? And this cannot be a cerebral exercise. You have to be connected to it emotionally. You want to be uncomfortable. And sometimes this is why we don't typically change is because we don't want to face those uncomfortable, mucky muck feelings. We don't want to be with the pain. We don't want to be with the shame. We don't want to be with the guilt. But I'm telling you, if you want to shift, if you want to change, it's very important that you become present and aware of the real impact, the real pain of maintaining this belief, limiting belief or habit. Then you write down, how's it impacting your present? How's it impact your relationships today? How's it impact your level of success, your level of satisfaction? How's it impact you monetarily? And then you go to the future. If you continue this, what is the predictable, almost certain future that's going to occur? How much is it going to cost you in a year, in two years, five years? Is it going to devastate your relationships? Is it going to undermine your health? As you think about the different scenarios, if you think about the different circumstances, 
if you can think about them in a way to make them more intense, more magnified, bring them up closer, make them bright and brilliant. Now, there are techniques we use in NLP to amplify your visualization, but it's beyond the scope really here of this particular episode. So if you just write down the impact and the pain and get as associated to it as possible, meaning you want to feel it completely, you don't want to just look at it cerebrally or as a witness You want to experience the pain and dissatisfaction. So how about a real life example? I once had a client that wanted to quit smoking. This was when I was doing strictly hypnosis, but he had been smoking for 40 years. He started smoking when he was 15. And when I saw him, he was 55. And what was interesting is he came to me because his wife gave him an ultimatum, said, you have to quit. And he had basically tried everything that he could think of and thought that hypnosis would be the best course of action for him. But at the time he started talking to me, he was not interested in really quitting. He was doing it for someone else. In fact, he was a little resentful that his wife had laid down the law, put down the ultimatum that he quit or she leaves. She was reaching her point of threshold. So we began looking at the impact on his life in the past, in the present, in the future. Began looking at what was the impact on his children. He said, my children used to hate it. They always would be coughing. They'd pretend they were gagging. I'd get mad and irritated. And he said, I basically put my foot down and said, I'm the one that pays the bills here. You live here rent-free. You do what I say. I'm not going to hear about this ever again. And then I asked him, do you think that your children felt like they were important to you? or that your cigarettes were more important than them. That your habit of smoking was more important than their health, their breathing fresh air. He said to me, I never thought of it that way. And I responded, the message was pretty clear, that your habit of smoking was more important than their wishes, more important than their desires, more important than their health. You basically said, your wants and wishes are so unimportant to me that I'm going to put my foot down and I'm not going to listen to you ever again about this topic. And then as he thought about it, he remembered that it was about this time that his oldest boy stopped spending as much time with him, found other things to do, was always in his room or going out with his friends. He remembered losing his little buddy. And he said, damn, I think I did that. I think I drove him away. I asked him about the relationship with his wife. He said, well, at the time she smoked too, but then she quit and it was unbearable. She made me start smoking outside or going in the other room and she became more distant. I asked him if he ever dropped a cigarette. Did he ever scorch a hole in his clothes or a couch or some other furnishing or the carpet? He said, oh, I almost started a fire one time. I fell asleep in my chair smoking, and I dropped it on the floor, and it burned a hole in the carpet. I asked, how much money has it cost you over the years? You started smoking when you were 15. He says, it wasn't very much. We didn't pay very much for cigarettes then. They were cheap. I think that's one of the reasons why I started. It was a cheap vice, inexpensive. It does cost a lot more today. I said, well, let's add it up. So we added up the cost of cigarettes on average by pack, you know, what his smoking habit was, and it came to tens of thousands of dollars. He said to himself, damn, I could have bought my boat. I could have put my kid in college. It would have made so many things easier if I would have put that in a savings account. Then I asked him, how much is it costing you today? 
we calculated it was right around four thousand, between four and five thousand dollars a year. And then we projected out in the future, how much are you going to spend if you don't quit smoking over the next five years? Suddenly he was aware of how expensive this habit was. It was costing him monetarily. It was costing him health-wise. He couldn't walk up the stairs the same way. He was panting and, and didn't have the same stamina. Sex life was almost non-existent. And then I said, if you do not quit smoking, your wife says she's going to leave. Are you going to be pleased with that? He said, no, I don't want her to go. But she doesn't like it. It's a barrier to intimacy. It's a barrier between you and her. And so if you don't decide to quit smoking for yourself, you're basically saying that the cigarettes are more important than your kids, more important than your wife, more important than the rest of your life. And then I picked up the pack of cigarettes and held it in front of them. Is this little pack of cigarettes more powerful than your mind, more powerful than your spirit? That's essentially what you're saying. I handed them the pack of cigarettes. I said, if you're now ready, if you get the impact on your life, how much it's cost you, cost your relationships with your kids, your wife, and how much it's cost you in money. If you're now done with these cigarettes and ready to put them behind you, then throw them away. Throw them in that wastebasket. Not only did he throw them away, he crumpled them up in his hand and just twisted them into a ball and then vehemently tossed them in the wastebasket and said, I'm done. I said to him, I don't think we need to do it, but just for good measure, why don't we sit down and enjoy a nice little trance? And through conversation, I reinforced the whole process, the impact on his life and his decision to put them behind him and move towards health and wellness. So again, in summary, this process is to stack the pain, stack the impact in a way where you cross threshold. Stack it in the past, stack it in the present. Look at it, the different phases of your life. How's it cost you in the past? How's it costing you in the present? How, what's it going to cost you in the future? The more pain that you can associate to that behavior, that habit, the more disgusted that you can get with continuing that behavior, the better the results. This isn't as easy as it sounds because we tend to rationalize our behavior to make it not so bad or to even twist it around and see how it's worked for us in the past. But if it's something you really want to change, you really need to get down into the dirt. You really need to get into the nitty gritty of it and become disgusted with continuing that behavior. And that it's unbearable and you're almost embarrassed and you feel so guilty and shamed for continuing this for so long. That's going to empower you. Now, this is an important distinction in this whole process is that you are doing the best you could with what you knew. I want you to feel guilty or disgust about your behavior, but your character I want you to have intact. You have a good heart. You want the best for you. You want to be the best. But that behavior is not in alignment with being the best that you could be, not having the future that you want. And so be disgusted with the behavior, but know that the past is not predictive of the future that anything can happen. In this moment, you can be born anew. By creating a new belief, moving off in a new direction, you create a whole new circumstance. And if you need to apologize to someone about your behavior in the past, then put that apology in place. But the point that a lot of people miss is when they look at the impact of behavior, they make themselves feel bad, like they're worthless, like there's something wrong with them, they're broken, why can't they quit? 
Well, you just haven't reached a point where you've been willing or being committed to leaving it behind. And you again, we always do the best we can with what we know in the moment, the access to the resources we have, our thinking in that moment, the emotional state in that moment. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Sometimes we can look back and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I could have done something different. No, no, you couldn't have. If you were to put yourself back in time, knowing what you knew then, feeling what you knew then, with the perspective you've had then, you didn't have the luxury of hindsight. But what you knew at the time, you were doing the best you could, and you would do it all over again in the same way in that moment. Now, another critical distinction to have in this moment is the awareness that if you remove something from your behavior, if you remove a belief, have an alternative or a better belief to put in its place. Now, with my client with the smoking, for instance, there are predictable times during the day where he would automatically smoke. And so we put alternative behaviors in there. We would have a meditation moment or five-minute meditation. He would do some deep breathing exercises. He would go for a walk when he got home from work, actually go for a walk with his wife. And then in the evening, he typically light up a cigarette when he was watching TV or watching the sports. He actually made it a practice of brewing himself a cup of tea. In fact, he made a list of over 20 different behaviors that he was going to implement in his life that were oriented around health and wellness. So to state again, or in a different way, when you don't want to do something, think of what you do want to do and implement that in your life in place of this other behavior. Remember, the mind cannot not think of something. So when you focus on what you don't want to happen, that is where your energy flows. And so you identify what you don't want to happen, the behavior you don't want present in your life, you get disgusted with it, and then you have an alternative path, an alternative journey that you want to go on from there. That's the framework for this change technique. Now I want you to invite the law of attraction. And remember the predictive future, where we take three to five circumstances and we predict out what's going to happen. So as you create new behaviors, Think of implementing this behavior, this new behavior, three to five times as you project out into the future. And you can even recall three to five times when you've done these in the past. You just want to do it more often. Again, we want to stack as many as possible to where we make it a habit in our mind. Three to five intense experiences. When I say intense, I mean associated. You want to feel the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Actually feel what it's going to feel like performing this new behavior and get associated with the benefit in your life as opposed to the impact on your life. Now we're visualizing those scenarios as if they're happening right now. You're feeling the feelings, doing the actions, being the person that can fulfill on these new behaviors. Since I mentioned law of attraction, let's do a little thing with money. If you have a belief about money that's not working for you and you know it's a limiting belief, identify how it's impacted you in the past to have that belief. What's it cost you in time, satisfaction, energy, and more than likely it's cost you in money. How much money could you have made if that if you've not had that belief in place? And then how's it impacting your present? 
How is it going to impact your future if you carry it forward? Can you get to a point where you're mad as hell and you're not going to take it anymore? You're not going to have that belief. You're going to find another belief. You're going to start investigating who else in the world is, doesn't have this belief. What are their actions? What are their beliefs? What do they value about money? And start putting that behavior in place. Start practicing that belief as if you have it not. Remember Shakespeare, one of my favorite quotes, assume a virtue to, I'm sorry, to assume a virtue, act as if you have it not. So if you know you have a limiting belief around money, write it down. Write out what is the impact. What has it cost you? What has been the impact on your life and your emotional well-being? And then start researching. Look on YouTube. Look to some examples. Who else is living the life you want to live? And identify what do they believe about money? You can find this all over the internet. Sometimes you can even look at your own limiting belief and say, what's the opposite of this belief? What's the flip side of this position? And then adopt that as your new way of being. Now, this is something different. We can not only use this Dickens process to blow out a habit or blow out a limiting belief, we can also use it to install a new belief. So you can go in your mind's eye, go back in time. If I had this belief when I was younger, what would my life be like? How would it be different? Actually play it out in your mind. Daydream. What would it be like in your past, in your youth, to live this new empowering belief, whether it's confidence or just a knowing in the world? How would it, could it possibly benefit your life in a different way? Think of all the possibilities and play them out and enjoy the process and the impact on your life. Now, understand that your mind, your subconscious mind, does not know the difference between something you vividly imagine and real life, the real past. In fact, most of the past, you remember, you've recalled and embellished in a way that isn't really attached to quote-unquote reality, didn't really happen quite that way. You've twisted it. You have added a perspective on it. You have your beliefs that you've associated to it that have reinforced this fallacy about your past. And so you can go back and implement, insert a new belief in your behavior in the past and just create three to five new experiences in your past with this new belief. And then you can even imagine those counterexamples of where you had the old belief. Those can just kind of fade away. Those images, those ideas can just fade away into the shadows. They're no longer part of your present awareness. They're no longer part of you. You're installing a new belief. And then do that in the present. How would things change today if you held this belief? How would you interact with your boss? How would you interact with your day? How much money could and would be flowing into your life right now if you had this belief and really live it in three to five different scenarios? Remember, you're only limited by your imagination and you're only limited Again, the ceiling to your imagination is determined by when you say, I can't, or I'm not going to do that. I don't feel like doing that. You're limited only by your imagination. If you can dream it and then you can believe it, you can achieve it. That's Napoleon Hill. And then predict out into the future. What is the predictable, almost certain future that if I held this belief and I implement it in my life and I'm being a particular way in my life, holding and, and exhibiting, living this belief, what is going to happen? What is What am I going to attract in my future? What is the future that I can live into? 
And now here's a third variation on this process. You can take any attribute that you have a little bit of. Maybe it's confidence. A lot of people have this issue with confidence. They think they want more confidence. I believe we need more courage, but let's deal with confidence right now. Just this feeling like I can do it. And you've had various times in your life when you've had inexperienced confidence. So how you utilize this is on your pad of paper, write down three to five different experiences in your past where you felt supremely and totally confident. And then replay those and almost blow them out of proportion. Go over the top and really feel like confidence was dripping out of your body, out of your cells and dripping on the floor. You had to, you had to clean it up. You had a, a cleaning crew that would come in after you and mop up all the confidence as it oozed from your body. You can imagine interacting with the opposite sex or interacting with your boss or moving forward on your business with supreme confidence. You do this in the past, you do it in the present, and you expand it out into the future. Now, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I feel this is exciting to me. I get so jazzed on all the different ways we can use this because we're only limited by our mind. And there's so many different visualization techniques and techniques we can use and implement and integrate with this whole process when you really get into NLP as a discipline. But if you just use the process as I've explained it today, you can implement some tremendous change in your life. In fact, I want to hear how you're utilizing it in your life. How did you utilize it? You can break an addiction to a person. You can break an addiction to any other substance. You can change any habit, any belief that you have about yourself. This is just one of a myriad of techniques, but it is a very effective technique utilizing that pain and stacking it, stacking it and make it almost unbearable until you reach a point of threshold. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. You got to reach that line of demarcation where you actually feel any desire to perpetuate or hang on to that habit or that belief as being broken. Now, you can all, this is how people fall in love, too. They focus and they identify with all the positive, appreciative things that the other person is doing, how they're being. They associate completely when they feel it in their body. Association means feeling it in our body. We're associated to the total experience. We associate to all the positive things about our loved one, and we play it over and over again. We think about it in the past. We think about it in the, in the present, and we project out of the future what it's going to be like with this amazing person. And then we start thinking about the things that irritate us and we're maybe we're in a bad mood and we just, we in that bad mood, the only thing we can focus on are the things we don't like, the things that are irritating, the tone of voice, the, the actions. Why are you always doing this? And then we just stack it and stack it and we push the feelings of love further and further away because we're focusing on the things we don't want. We're actually using this in a negative way. And many times we want to hang on to love. We want to hang on to the attributes of our loved one, our betrothed, our our commitment. We want that feeling of love to be perpetuated. And so you use it in the opposite way. You associate to all the positive things. What attracted you initially to your your loved one? What uh, brought you together? What are some of your peak experiences when you first got together? What have been some of your peak experiences in the present? What do you love and appreciate about your life? Then what's possible? What's possible? How can you expand this relationship into the future? All by what you focus on and what do you reinforce and repeat in your mind? 
and then allow any irritation, anything that you don't like, just to kind of push it aside and let it fade off into the distance. It's not that important, not that big a deal. And then bring up right front and center in front of your face and make it bigger than life all the things you love and appreciate. You might even put a spotlight on it. Sometimes I'll I'll put a spotlight on my wife. I'll dim everything around the room around her. And I'll just look at her as if she's sitting under a golden spotlight. So attractive, so alluring, so magnetic. I can't help but fall in love with her all over again. You see, if you if you haven't got it, you get to say you have the ultimate decision about what is important to you in your life. How you run your brain is completely up to you. I'm just providing you with some of the tools to master your mind and your emotions. Well, until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you engage in the epic adventure. (laughs) 